And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Felton. The ongoing NSARS movement in Nigeria, aimed at dismantling the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, also known as SARS, has been spearheaded primarily by Nigerian youth and especially by Nigerian women and the LGBTQ community. Due to that fact, I want to dedicate an episode to uplift the voices of two people closest to this movement to give them space to talk about how they're working on the ground, their experiences using their voice in support of their community, and how young people across the African diaspora can begin to bridge gaps so that more people can remain aware of this issue and feel empowered to use their voices to support our siblings in Nigeria and elsewhere in the diaspora. Before we get into the interview, I want to ground this conversation in current events. This will be a brief overview, so it won't be super in-depth, but there will be a resource list in the show notes with more information, including a video recording of an NSARS teaching that happened the other week that was very in-depth and informative. So in 1992, the Special Anti-Robbery Squad was created to put an end to armed robberies happening in Lagos, Nigeria. In 2002, SARS jurisdiction expanded to end armed robberies in Nigeria as a whole. However, SARS officers instead targeted youth, women, the LGBTQ community, those with luxury items, sex workers, those who own iPhones, had tattoos, dreadlocks, etc., profiling them as potential perpetrators of these armed robberies. After folks raised their concerns about this, from 2006 to 2018, there were various attempts at reform, including the implementation of oversight committees, as well as the allocation of funds for reform purposes. So again, this is several attempts to end SARS corruption and reform over the course of 12 years. In 2017, the NSAR social media campaign officially began, and in 2020, of course, we've seen the resurgence of that campaign, at least on an international level, with their current NSARS campaign ignited by a viral social media video of SARS officers killing Nigerian citizens. Today actually marks four weeks since the Lekki toll gate massacre, where peaceful protesters were shot at, some killed and injured, at the Lekki toll gate on October 20th, 2020. Nigerian President Buhari was silent for nine days, and after that nine days, he broke his silence only to evade government responsibility for the massacre and lie about the severity of it and the number of people actually killed. He did, however, commit to dissolve SARS into another unit called the Special Weapons and Tactics Team, which to my understanding would essentially just give SARS officials new jobs under a new name. So again, that's a super high-level overview of where we're at now. I highly suggest tapping into the NSARS teaching resources. The presentation was very well organized and in-depth, literally covered everything that you need to know, most importantly being how we move forward from here. For this episode, I spoke with Naomi Ndifun and Shion Babalola, who have both been using their voices to bring awareness to and organize around this movement in Nigeria and here in the D.C. area, respectively. Naomi is a Nigerian feminist and writer whose works mainly center women, culture, and lived experiences. Her work has been featured in AEC Quarterly, Black Women Radicals, and many more. When she's not writing, she's putting her biochemistry degree to good use. I will add that the piece Naomi wrote for Black Women Radicals was super informative, as well as her interview with Jamie Swift, the founder of Black Women Radicals. I'll be sure to include links to both in the show notes as well. Shion Babalola, commonly known as Shion the Activist, is an activist and organizer from the Bronx, New York. His journey through his work began at his alma mater, Penn State. 
After interning on a presidential campaign during the summer after his freshman year, he felt inspired to make a difference in his community in New York and at his predominantly white institution, where there were various instances of systemic racism affecting black and brown students. After leaving Penn State, Shion co-founded Concerned Citizens of DC. Shion is a 2018 Young Futures awardee by The Root and has partnered with both athletes and celebrities such as LeBron James. Shion currently lives in the Washington, D.C. area as he continues to do organizing work and is looking forward to working in the political sphere in the future. Can both of you um, start just by letting us know how both of you are doing um, and if you have any current updates as to what is happening with the NSTARS movement um, from, your, from your end. So we can start with Naomi. Thank you very much. The, I've been good. Thank God. Uh, things have sort of calmed down a bit here with the movement. Basically, because after the uh, killings on the 20th of October, there was a, there were imposed curfews in many areas of the country. So we've not really been moving around as much. And the sort of backlash that the government came with uh, restricted a lot of people from wanting to get on the streets. Although, for example, where I am now in Abuja, there have been movements, nonetheless, uh, people have still gone back into the streets. But currently, there are some people that are in police um, custody. They were arrested over their rights for peaceful, peaceful protest. So we're still trying to, people are still working to get those people who were arrested um, unlawfully out of custody. So that has, uh, I think I'd say the momentum we had earlier in October has Sort of been transferred into more of a social media aggression now since we can't necessarily be on the streets as much as we used to. Uh, so that's basically what's that's basically how how much um, that's basically what's been going on for the protests for the NSAS protests. And Sean, how about you? So I mean, in, in the diaspora, we we had a, a global weekend of action uh, last week. So with us here in DC, in New York, uh, London and probably I want to say 17 other cities uh, outside of Nigeria had a global weekend of action. Basically, you're ensuring that all of you know, the calls, not just an anti-sadr, anti-bad governance uh, and anti-corruption were echoed in the diaspora, uh, with, especially with all of the, the influence that countries outside of Nigeria have to be able to hold a lot of these other folks accountable and a lot of these politicians accountable in particular who are responsible for a lot of what is going on. And I think now we're definitely at a turning point whereby a lot of these conversations are shifting from on the ground into policy, right? So we're trying to think about now policy, uh, on the policy side, what we can do on the diaspora and what we can also do to support the efforts on the ground in Nigeria as well to make sure that, you know, this is sustainable and this is not um, a one-time moment, but this is actually a movement. And we want to continue to uh, and share the longevity of, of this movement. Right. And then going back a little bit, um, this episode will be focused again on like youth activism in the NSARS movement. Um, so can you each talk a little bit about your personal story, your background, um, your journey to finding your voice as an activist and how you've used your voice for, um, for this particular movement? For me, I think I would say my activism has come more in the form of feminism. So basically as a writer, I have been able to, you know, use my voice in print and in digital media 
I think because uh, I've not always been stable in a particular place, sort of city hopping and all that, I think it's easier for me being a writer, being able to uh, cover and share experiences and also share what's going on, uh, especially for this movement. I would say the NSAS movement sort of showed that there was a need for a lot of documentation. So it wasn't just something that you could say, oh, you're putting it on this particular journalist or this particular reporter, or because this person has more international bylines. But I think it also brought the need for, oh, no matter what level you perceive your writing to be, it's necessary. There's a need for you to use your voice in whatever way you can. So, you know, activism comes in so many forms. It may not just be, oh, you're going to be on the streets, people who were on the streets where we people who were doing amazing so you know there were even days that I also went but I think um activism has been my writing a lot um in being as true and as brutally honest as I can be and I think that's very very amazing because with um new age and the digital era and the internet and social media we kind of see that activism can take so many forms it can be in photojournalism it can be in writing it can be in talking it can be in just you know sharing just talking with your immediate family that's like activism so I think my own activism has been my writing I've been writing for like the longest time but I think uh, I came a bit more specific towards feminism about uh, two to three years ago I wouldn't say I started out with the aim of oh, becoming an activist. I was just, oh, women's rights, women should matter, women's bodies should matter, women's bodies should be their own. And uh, as the answer came, it was like, oh, this is like our collective problem. So I just sort of focused on that. But basically my, my uh, work is women-centric. That's sort of it. For me, I mean, I've been, I've been doing like organizing activist work for a few years now. Um, and I want, I want to say my freshman, after my freshman year of college, um, during that summer I'd worked on a presidential campaign and by way of that, I was really um, immersed into this world of you know, after working with you know, a whole bunch of um, people I never really thought I would even be able to meet at that time. You know, I was really able to be immersed in that and, and going to Penn State, um, which, you know, here in the States is a, a PWI, which is known as a predominantly one institution. There are a lot of instances of, of racism, right? And there are a lot of also instances of, of systemic racism that were holding students back um, as well. And, the, and for me, um, carrying what I had already learned from a summer ago and, and also continuing to be immersed in this culture of, of activism and organizing and and also learning under so many um, talented and gifted professors within our African-American studies department at Penn State, I really became um, not only immersed in this work, but I understood that this was something that, you know, I was, I felt like I was called to do, right? And so um, it definitely grew with that. And then I would say this, uh, this past summer, you know, after graduating over to the DC this past summer, working with so many talented organizers within the DC area um, during the, uh, this movement for Black Lives. I mean, you know, we made calls for Justice for Brianna and, and Ahmad and for George and for so many others um, who had died due to police violence. Um, my work kind of continued with that 
and now uh, intersecting um, this these calls for a new Nigeria, right? And, and calls for an end to bad governance and intersecting that with this movement for black lives and understanding that this, this whole um, black liberation movement is, is global and intersectional um, is, is what I've been trying to um, work on now. Similar to the, the Black Liberation Movement, the Black Lives Matter um, movement and protests that especially happened over the summer, um, comparing that to the NSARS movement, we saw like the use of social media as like a, a really powerful tool to get out the word and spread awareness and educate people and mobilize people um, in their communities um, around you know those issues. And um, again, just educating people like around the history of, of all these issues. So can each of you speak on your perspective about the use of social media for these human rights movements like NSARS and um, Black Lives Matter, the Black Liberation Movement? I think social media has been phenomenal to everything we do. Uh, for example, like when I was kind of going through what has been going on in Africa over the past two months, uh, the uh, Anglophone crisis in Cameroon, the uh, femicide and genocide in Namibia and all that, I realized how much social media has been fundamental to spreading awareness and letting people in many areas of the world know what's going on. Because prior to this, if we didn't have social media, if we didn't have the internet, if we didn't have digital media that was actively engaging people globally, we wouldn't know that people were dying daily in so many areas of the world. So I also think because of how structured social media has become, uh, there's a certain level of outrage that pushes for change. Now, prior to this time, people would think, oh, you're just going to be making noise on social media and nothing can actively happen. But we even see it like in the US elections that were just conducted recently, we see how much um, of awareness was raised on, okay, you need to vote, or you need to vote for this person, or you need to do secure this for your future and the future of your family and the future of your friends and the future of black people and marginalized people and immigrants. So there's just so much that um, I think social media has the potential to be not just right now we see it as oh it's um in uh information dissemination active information dissemination but i think even as even being um a tool for policy reforming it's very possible social media can lead for you know policy reformation it can lead for political revolutions um the nsas movement started as a digital campaign this year before it even began, before we took to the streets. So like, that's how powerful social media can be. Because of how much we were drawing attention to international bodies, we're getting a lot of um, media coverage <clears throat> from international organizations. So that was like social media. Currently in Nigeria, there's a social media bill that's going back and forth to regulate social media presence because they understand how powerful this thing can be. And they understand, oh, in five years' time, this is what social media can move into as an active push for change, as an active policy reformer, and an active, like, uh, an active uh, tool for changing things in, po in politics and governance. Like, social media is capable of that, not just as 
as a as a tool for mobilizing and campaigning and pushing for things, but also as someone as like the mover and shaker of change of like actual change. So I think this year has been interesting because we started this year saying uh, the COVID nineteen health crisis, and we saw what uh, misinformation on social media could do. But towards the end of the year, we've seen what has been going on in so many parts of the world towards Black people, towards African people. And we've seen also the upside of social media, how social media being a tool is making us know what's happening to our brothers and sisters so many continents away from us. So, you know, we started out seeing the bad side, but now we are seeing this is like what is possible with social media if we're able to use it properly. I think that's really something that's beautiful and fascinating to watch. And I think also that as young people, because this is our time seeing uh, the possibilities of social media, we just have to hold on to it as tight as possible because this is like, this is our tool for the revolution coming moving forward uh, and the future of change uh, all around the world. So, yeah, I think it, it's really it's really uh, paramount to what we're doing and what we're going to be doing in the future. You know, and echoing what Naomi said, uh, when we think about social media and movements, right, we also think about the power in which even outside of what we saw over the past month in Nigeria, the power that um, it holds, right? We saw an Arab Spring um, in the early 2010s, uh, you know, the ways in which social media and a movement that was uh, almost exclusively um, broadcasted over social media was able to really capture the, the hearts and the minds of the whole world and really influence for a very long time, probably over the first half of Obama's presidency, uh, influence foreign policy, right? And, and now, as we see, um, again, like this new era civil rights, quote unquote, movement within the Black Lives Matter global network. And then outside of that, the ways in which it formed an overarching movement for Black Lives Matter. And then now, off of the momentum of this past summer and the midst of this pandemic, right, we see now all the tools already equipped for a movement like Instar to really blow up. And it is um, really so great that not only the movement in and of itself was able to on everybody's radar, but also the tools for this to be sustainable were able to you know, become identified through, you know, by way of just certain people tapping into this, right? So we had, you literally had Jack, uh, the CEO of Twitter, the CEO of, I want to say the most commonly used social media app in the world, um, next to obviously Instagram and then Facebook, tweeting about this and uh, encouraging folks to donate via Bitcoin to the Feminist Coalition and encouraging folks yeah. to get down to I mean, you don't have, you don't, get any better than that, right? You don't get any better than, as far as coverage goes, as far as people tapping in goes, better than having somebody like that of, of, of that type of influence coming in and tapping into this movement. So when we think about things like social media, we think about how the response from the Nigerian government over a certain thing, uh, the response after uh, the Lekki Tollgate massacre, we saw uh, Governor Somwalu coming and literally lying to people was because they were under pressure. And that pressure wouldn't have happened unless mm-hmm. Social media wanted to blow up the way they did. Absolutely. And then now, uh, as Naomi just mentioned, we also have the social media bill as well coming out. And we understand, again, uh, the pressure that social media has, has put on the Nigerian government to, to act. And they've obviously you know, just been scattering around, but the pressure that has been put on them uh, to act um, is, is 
insurmountable, right? And it is, it is um, clear to all of us here that we're doing something right. So honestly, social media has been an invaluable tool uh, within movements, particularly in this movement as well. And uh, I'm more than sure that it will continue to be uh, valuable as this progresses into what it will be. And then, Sean, you mentioned the uh, the Feminist Coalition, which, of course, was started by a group of Nigerian women um, and was at the forefront, has been at the forefront of this movement. Um, Naomi, can you speak on what any updates as to like what you know they're up to now and how we can continue to center the work of um, Black women in Nigeria, elsewhere on the continent and elsewhere in the diaspora? So basically now, currently, a Feminist Coalition is not taking donations uh, in any form. Uh, what we're trying to do is the the funds that have already been disbursed, uh, Feminist Coalition is handling those ones to go into legal aid and covering medical medical care for uh, injured protesters, protesters that were injured both before, during, and after the Lekki Toge massacre. And also uh, some protesters that have been uh, just uh, recently detained, so trying to work legal aid in that. And well, apart from that, right now, everybody is working independently in the sense that because the movement has been decentralized to a very good extent, you can put in as much pressure as you can from your end. So we're working at uh, affecting, aggressively affecting grassroots politics. So the politicians and the local heads that directly affect us. We're trying to put pressure on them. We're trying to also use social media to keep pushing. So now it's kind of morphed from just an end to police brutality, but into an end and a spotlight into bad governance, um, mismanagement of funds and corruption in the country. So now we've seen that, oh, this is like NSAS was just a smaller part of the bigger picture. And <clears throat> since the government did not want to acquiesce to the initial demands of the NSAS and the initial 505, so we're just going bigger, you know. And we can't go on the streets as much as we used to, but we know now that, oh, this is how much digital media, uh, this is how much power digital media has. So we're working with uh, journalism, social media, everybody's putting all hands on deck to make sure that what we do is keep putting it out there, keep putting um, our needs and the problems out there. I think uh, there's there's a lot when it comes to Nigeria, there's a lot that international attention can do when it comes to changing things in Nigeria. And we've seen that even when uh, the, the backlash that came after the toll gate made Sanwulu to come and you know, talk about, come on, a uh, lie, and then say, oh, these people were there, when he initially said these people were not there. So feminist school is not necessarily taking donations now, but there's still so much work to be done, and it just boils down to the power of keep sharing, keep spreading, keep talking, keep, you know, don't let the fire go down. We are trying to sustain the, the protest as much as we can online, uh, and as much as we can be offline, we're trying to sustain it off on, um, online. So Twitter as a main medium, basically, uh, Feminist School is not standing as the organizer anymore, but 
as individual Nigerians, everybody's doing what they can since there's no more um, mobilizing of resources from feminist schools. So basically that's just it. Sion, I was going to ask you about just um, what's going on in, in the DMV area. If you guys are currently, um, you know, working on anything. I know you guys were out at the, the Nigerian embassy. Um, so can you talk about like what people are, you know, thinking and feeling and what's the, the response been over here in response to NSARS? Yeah, so as far as the DMV area goes, uh, we definitely have been doing a lot of on the ground organizing. Like I said, you have the biggest uh, Nigerian population in the United States within this area. It's very easy to organize with folks and get folks together, especially under a common goal. Um, now, like I said, uh, towards the beginning, a lot of this is policy focused, right? So uh, we have proximity to, um, you know, United States government, right? You know, right up our nose and uh, here in DC and making sure that as we usher in this new, um, this new house of this new house and, you know, Senate, um, that we can get, uh, you know, our policy goals um, to the forefront as well. You know, we saw the CBC, which is really pound for pound the largest legislative, the, the most influential legislative body of black folks in the world um, coming together to make a statement calling on Nigeria to not only put an end to SARS, but an end to corruption and bad governance and all of you know, what we've, we've talked about. Um, there's definitely a lot of avenues here for us to create influence in that space. And I think that you know, as we you know, go on, we definitely wanna make, you know, make this policy focus so that all of our calls are uh, legitimized and this movement is, you know, is sustainable. So, you know, now we're definitely trying to do that as well, as well as continuing to, you know, do the work, the, the legwork on the ground. But uh, it's an understanding that, you know, we have a lot of work to do in order to, you know, be in line with everything that's going on in Nigeria. And then my last question to both of you is how would you suggest um, you continue to lead and make their voices heard around this movement um, and generally to increase solidarity across the African diaspora? Uh, so as far as uh, the diaspora goes, I think everybody needs to understand that this affects you, right? If you are a Black person in this country, you need to understand that Nigeria's success and the success of the protesters and the success of the demands on the ground will lead to the success of the continent. The con success of the continent leads to the success of Black folks everywhere, right? As I said earlier, um, you know, this is global movement, uh, this, this movement of Black liberation is a global movement. The symptoms of, of white supremacy, um, such as, you know, colonialism are very rampant today as we see uh, the corruption in Nigeria and as we see, um, not even just Nigeria, but across the continent, you know, what has happened to certain countries. Um, the only way to erase all of that and to flip all of that is literally through these uprisings that we've seen, through people standing up and saying enough is enough, right? And, and um, supporting that in any which way, be it amplification, be it donating, be it uh, supporting and, and reading about what is going on or, or supporting your local organizations uh, that are on the ground. Um, whatever you can do is, 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 is really what you need to do. You, you, but everybody needs to be concerned about what's going on. And as far as people um, and young people and, and what they can do, I, I mean, Again, um, you know, not everybody is the person who's on the front lines, you know, risking um, everything that they have to be able to see it in Nigeria, but there's a place in this movement for everybody, right? In the same way that there's a place in the movement for, for everybody as far as uh, this movement for Black Lives goes here in the United States, uh, there's a place in this movement for, to end SARS. 
everybody. I mean, there's folks that um, may be just you know volunteers who who may have uh, you know medical training and want to be medics, and there's folks who may want to run for office. You know, and there's really such a wide spectrum of responsibilities available to so many people, and I really want people to take advantage of that, um, especially in places like Nigeria where uh, you know we can begin to identify young, bright leaders who would want to be leaders in political offices from the top down um, all across all across the country. Uh, as we continue to, to talk about this, this, this end to bad governance, we definitely want to continue to talk about replacing everybody that, at least within the country of Nigeria, has you know, led to its demise. But definitely folks need to keep amplifying, keep uh, making their voices heard. Things like Twitter, retweeting, those things matter. The more people that hear about it, the more people that know about it, um, every single person, uh, you know, would create a, a new person learning about this and telling somebody else because there still could be people who don't know what's going on. Like uh, Shane said, there's a place for everybody. So you don't necessarily have to wait until you can be on the streets or at the forefront. In every way you can, you can continue to show solidarity. And I also think it's very important for black people worldwide to pay attention to our issues do you understand because i just think um what has helped this movement so far is the show of solidarity from people all around the world that has that international attention that international leverage is what we've had to push in this movement as far as we've come and I think that is something that we can apply in so many areas. Even during the Black Lives Matter protests, we saw how everybody, Black people all around the world, regardless of whether they could um, relate to being American or relate to racism, whether or not they had experienced racism, they showed, they stood up, they you know, showed solidarity for what was going on in America. And uh, we've also seen it back in NSARS that, Okay, Americans, the British people, the Europeans, everybody's showing solidarity. I think we have to maintain that um, when there's a lot of international attention to what is going on to um, uh, for black uh, to black people globally. There's so much change that can result from that, and I think we have to take advantage of that. We have to take advantage of what's attention can bring and we have to make sure that oh it doesn't you don't necessarily have to be pushing the movement every second of the day but you share you use your platform you talk about it you share posts you donate you just do whatever you can as little as talking to your friends about it over coffee as little as educating other people about it as using your platform to just say okay I think I should uh, share a post about this that is showing solidarity. So there's so many ways that people can um, people can work, people can share, people can uh, just do so much in so little ways. And I think we need to understand that. We need to understand that in protests in a revolution, there's a place for everybody. And you need to understand, oh, what can I do? Where can I amplify my voice back end, front end? In any way you can, there's just so much to be done, like Sean said, and we must take advantage of every uh, tool that we can, every platform that we can, every means that we can, because 
I think digital media and the internet on its own has given us such a stepping ground and we have to step on that and use the power and command the power of attention to uh, global issues that we are going to face in the future because this is like the beginning of so many things moving forward for all of us around the world. So I think everybody just has to make, we just have to know one thing that this is not whatever form uh, global or regional revolutions are going to take, is not going to be spearheaded by one person. You're not going to wait for just one person to step up and say, oh, this is but whatever you can do. It's uh, moving forward. Revolutions are going to be very much decentralized. So you are going to be an active contributor and an active participant to pushing the movement forward. So I think we just have to know that and we have to work on that and know that, oh, as one person out of a billion people that are showing solidarity and standing uh, with activists and global challenges, socioeconomic, political, facing Black people around the world, I matter and my contribution is very, very, very significant, tremendously significant. And if you have that at the back of your mind, you're going to, you know, make an active effort to uh, keep demanding and keep standing and keep showing solidarity. That's it for this special edition episode of Better to Speak, the podcast. Additional learning resources, as well as links to donate to the NSTARS Teaching Fund, are in the show notes. If you'd like to support Better to Speak, the link to donate through our podcasting host, Red Circle, is in the show notes as well. Be sure to stay connected with us on social media at better to speak underscore or on our website, bettertospeak.org, where you can now view our latest project, Your Silence Will Not Protect You, a zine on Black civic engagement in 2020. The podcast will be back in 2021 with new episodes, new guests to cover new sociopolitical issues with the same goal of transforming silence into language and action. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Belton. Thank you for listening.